Hello and welcome back to the Divided Opinion Podcast. Today it's just me again, Joel. Sadly, we still haven't got Henry with us, but hopefully we should be hearing from him later in the episode. He's going to check in, talk a few things about United, which is obviously his speciality. Um, so yeah, I've been holding back on the United topics because I do want to discuss them with Westy. And these individual podcasts will not be lasting long. And I hope not either, because I've got to be honest, they're hard work compared to when you've got someone to bounce it off with. And yeah, at the end of the day, it's divided opinion. So it doesn't really work a one. Um, apologies, obviously, if you hear any drilling or anything in the background. Um, Neighbours just got some, been building, doing building work for years. It feels like years anyway. And it's causing an absolute racket. So I hope that will not. Um, interfere with the audio quality but yeah um, today I'm just going to kind of free roam again discuss a few issues um, yeah just dissect a few things that have gone on in the world of football over the last week last night I was um, had the pleasure of going back to a football stadium since I, I was trying to think when the last time I went was I think it was a Leicester 4-0 win against Aston Villa I think um, we were trying to work it out um, but yeah, pretty pretty special to be back in a football stadium, to be honest. Um, I hope all you guys get to experience it soon. Because football isn't the same without us. And we are what makes the game what it is. And it all felt quite relaxed. Um, there, wasn't a, there was hand sanitizer on the turnstiles. Um, for anyone that's wondering about what how COVID has affected things. I couldn't notice much difference, to be honest. Um, just to we'll talk about Leicester's performance for a bit, because it was the first bit of football I've been able to see, aside from on t- on TV and the uh, amateur game. Uh, it was the first professional game I've seen since lockdown, since everything started. And you get to pick up so much more when you're at the game. You get to focus on individual players, see their movements, um, kind of just see what's going on around. And there's so much more going on that just what the camera can see and yeah it was it was really nice to be back let me just open up sofa score now and we'll have a look at the formation that Leicester went with yesterday because it does give us quite a good indication of how they are going to start the season and we've only we've obviously got the community shield on Saturday um I imagine Brendan will go with his full strength side um but then obviously exactly a week from then we have the opening day against Wolves, big game. Um, two teams that are very similar. Quite, you probably say I've got similar trajectories. Wolves had a poor season last season, and obviously, yeah, the new the new Wolves boss is going to be eager to make a, a really good impression. I'd be interested to see if he changes the way they play because Wolves' style of play was pretty uninspiring before under um, under Nuno. So it looks as though Leicester was setting up with a back four with. Ricardo Pereira at right back, Kagler Sunchu at centre back next to Fafana, and then the new man, Ryan Bertrand at left back. But it was almost quite hard to pick out exactly where the players were playing, and it was kind of played in transitions, and different players were allowed um, a lot more freedom. Ricardo Pereira was playing almost as a wing back, uh, and to be honest, Villarreal offered very little. They sat in and Although the scoreline flatters them, to be honest. The game had kind of gone a bit stale when they scored their goals. It was after Fafana had gone off injured and 
it kind of left a bit of a sour taste in everyone's mouth, I think, when that Fafana injury. Just while we're on that topic, it was, yeah, it was, it, the minute we saw it, it, you could see it was a bad one. Um, I, I don't like to speculate in those kind of circumstances, but even I was trying to, struggling to stay positive about it. You could just, those kind of injuries, you can just see, you can see from the players around, hands on heads, and yeah, it was, it was a sad, sad, it was a sad night, to be honest. And it, it was all going so well, and the atmosphere was lovely in terms of a, it's just a real family atmosphere down at Leicester. And just to be all back, and I, obviously I, I could have, we was, we tried to get tickets for the FA Cup final, we didn't, didn't get um, the tickets in the ballot, and then obviously the last game of the season, we didn't manage to get any tickets for that either. So it was our first time back in the King Power, back at any football game. So it was a it was a it was a nice night, and the atmosphere was actually surprisingly good for a preseason game. Uh, good shirt, good turnout as well, especially considering it was midweek. But yeah, it was it really did put a dampener on the night for Fana, and I'm sure that Brendan felt as though it was almost we felt like we took two like a step forward, and players were looking fit. Um, but Harvey Barnes was looking excellent, and because I was really worried about whether he'd be still have that turn of pace and still play on the edge, and he did, and he looked really good, and he had a really well-taken finish. In He got in behind, broke the lines, and, yeah, it was an excellent goal. But back to Fafana, he was, he was having such a good game, and obviously it was the first time a lot of Leicester fans have seen him, believe it or not. And he, he as a player, he just looks... The talent levels are off the scale, and... There's certain players that you can just tell are elite, elite talents. And Wesley Fafana is one of those. I really hope this injury is just a hurdle and he'll overcome it and we'll be able to see him in a Leicester shirt for a lot longer. And I've got to be honest, as a realist, I appreciate every game that I see Wesley Fafana in the blue of Leicester because, let's be honest, it isn't going to last that long. And I know there's a lot of debate at the moment with clubs letting their players go on and being amicable about it but I'm always going to be one that obviously I'd love to see the best players stay at Leicester but I just understand the way the football pyramid works and we got you sometimes you've got to let players blossom and I just appreciate every game we get to see Wesley Fafana because he is going to go in my opinion he's going to go to the very top of the game and I really hope that this injury is is no deterring factor in that and we wish him a, a full and speedy recovery here a divine opinion um yeah so let's move on to like the tactical side of things obviously as i said leicester were ricardo Pereira was given a lot of freedom and push forward and it'd be interesting because now obviously leicester will have to turn their attention to bringing in a center back there were a lot of rumors about kabak and we thought he was going to come in and it all, all but looked done but obviously it seems to have gone really quiet. No one seems to be interested in Kabak. I'm not really sure why. Schalke are in absolute disarray. They're trying to get rid of their... like They're just trying to get rid of any of their players. He's their most valuable asset at 8 million. Um, and apparently they can't even afford to pay his wages. So they're literally just trying to get rid of him. So don't understand why Leicester wouldn't go in for him, to be honest. He's had a season of Premier League football under his belt. I wasn't particularly impressed with what I've seen at Liverpool... But a lot of the time he was playing alongside a midfielder, whether it was Jordan Henderson or uh, Fabinho. And then even if he did play with a centre-back, it was Nat Phillips or is it Reese Williams. And 
yeah, I, I, I would, I've got to be honest, it's going to be a stopgap, and I understand that this stage we are at in the window, we're coming up, to, we're in the last 25 days of the window, and the likelihood of a big deal getting done, Rogers has already spoke about how the transfer pot is not endless, endless, and I think he's kind of hinting there that really there's not much money at all, and there's not much room to work with. We saw last season, Under was brought in from Roma on loan, and that was clearly a bit of a panic deal. And this, this is a shame because going back to what I was saying about Ricardo Pereira being playing in a more advanced role, given a lot of freedom, I think that is likelihood is the likelihood that you'll see Pereira playing that kind of role, and just purely because Leicester aren't going to be able to buy a, a right winger. I, as much as I want to see it, I think it's really unlikely at the moment with with transfer funds having to go towards the defender now, which is a crucial, crucial, crucial part of the pitch. And especially, it's a real, um, an area of the pitch we're lacking now with finally getting injured. I think Pereira we will see in a more advanced role. In other parts of the pitch, you can see, although Leicester and Rogers have got the options of Tamari coming in from Lille, who I'm really hopeful for this season. He, he looked a little bit off the pace yesterday, but obviously he came on early in the second half and, the game had kind of hit a bit of a a bit of a rut almost, and he, he played well. And but he was alongside another really promising player with Kieran and Drewsbury Hall, who I think Leicester fans can be really hopeful for. He, I was worried, and I've heard people talk about his pace and the lack of pace, but I I didn't see this. I thought he had a turn of pace and. He looks like a really old-fashioned centre midfielder, almost like a Scott Parker or someone like that. Not flashy on the eye. He's he's really comfortable on the ball, though, and he he just looks like an all-round player, box-to-box, box, and I think he's certainly got the attributes to achieve a really decent career at the Premier League level, at the highest level. And it, it's interesting, though, because... Rogers has come out and said that he's kind of downplayed the amount that the amount of pressure that's on Daka and on Samari this season, and with competition in both of their positions, I think it is unlikely that they're going to play this prominent role in the Premier League, subject to injuries, obviously, which we have seen a lot of before. Madison and Didi have really had some issues with injuries over the last couple of seasons. So, but yeah, Leicester Rogers went for his kind of familiar midfield three yesterday which was obviously Tielemans and Ndidi sitting in. And then you had Madison in front. And it was Perez was almost playing as the right winger, but it was a very fluid system. People were moving around, and you know what Madison likes to do. He likes to move and find where the space is and doesn't like to stay restricted to one part of the pitch, which definitely owes well to how Madison plays. Um, I almost like it when Leicester player and Diddy sitting in, and then you've got Tielemans and Madison either side, which with neither one of them being the more prominent one, kind of when one goes one stays kind of thing and Madison that is where his talents lie in sitting in and seeing the game in front of him and passing the ball around I don't mean sitting in as in sitting in and defending but kind of just being on the edge of the attacking play and picking out the passes through to Vardy's and the the uh, Harvey Barnes I'm not sure if anyone saw the highlights or if he even showed in the highlights, but Madison did a really, really nice bit of trickery in his own half, which started the move for Harvey Barnes' goal. Um, Special mention as well, I'll move on from this soon because, yeah, I know a lot of you aren't Leicester fans and I've already discussed a bit of this in a post that you can see on the Instagram, which is at Divided Opinion. Um, But Ryan Bertrand looked excellent. 
and at, at 32 years old, he looks like he Leicester have got a knack of bringing in players that seem to be near the tail end of their career, but then almost give them a new peak and they peak again. And I reckon Ryan Bertram could be one of these players. It's a really good move for him. It can't be underestimated because he was at Southampton, which is a club at the minute that's kind of lost its direction and it's looking, I don't know, it's they're getting rid of their best players. Danny Ings has obviously gone to Villa. Bertrand, I think, it's going to be a big miss for them. And see, so left on a free. I'm not 100% sure whether it was what side, if whether it was a mutual agreement or whether Bertrand really wanted to leave and the club had no say in it. But he looks like an excellent addition. And with James Justin not returning until October, November time, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Bertrand really lay claim to that left-back position. And I think Rodgers will really like him. He's a great addition. And we we had Madison on corners last season. And he kind of left a bit to be desired, his delivery. But Ryan Bertrand seems to put in a really good lofted corner in and set pieces on the wide, like the wide um, angles as well putting a brilliant ball in for Suyuncu yesterday. So I think he's going to be really promising. Didn't see much of Vardy yesterday. Um, he did all right. He wasn't, he was far from absent, but yeah, he, he he's clearly, you know what Vardy's like. He kind of takes a bit of time to get going. Um, and once that first goal comes in, in the Premier League season, I'm sure he'll kick on again. Uh, and we also saw Pats and Dakar as well. And there is something very Jamie Vardy about Pats and Dakar, whether it's the, the, the kind of sliding in on goalkeepers and defenders and he looks like a real nightmare and I'm really interested to see what he can do in a Leicester shirt but it's clear that the Leicester the Leicester scouts have been searching for a ready-made Vardy replacement and hopefully they've got that with uh, Pats and Daka. Right so we now have the long lost divided opinion host on the line. Westy how you doing mate? I'm good, thank you, mate. All good this time. Yeah, good. We've been missing you over here, mate. Honestly, it's hard work on my own. Hard, hard work. Um, but we've got a question. Manchester United related. Obviously, I've been waiting to discuss United related issues with you. Um, so we've had a question in with Rashford out. How should United line up for the first few games of next season? How do you see it panning out? Um. Well, I, I think. I think for in the forward line, I think we'll be able to cope, cope pretty pretty easy with the options we've got. Um, if it was up to me personally, that that first game of the season against Leeds, I'd I'd like to probably see Sancho maybe on the left, uh, Cavani through the middle, and uh, I like Greenwood on the right. And I feel like that'll be the place for Greenwood. Um, you say Sancho down the left. Down the left, yeah, I think his best football for Dortmund came off the left, but obviously United obviously have signed him predominantly to play on the right with Rashford on the left, you'd have thought, but I think whilst Rashford is out, I think Sancho definitely complements that left-hand side better than Greenwood would, so obviously Greenwood, you want him cutting in on that left foot, don't you, and causing issues that way, that's how I can see it happening, but obviously you never know, I think there's plenty of, obviously got Martial back now as well, He's going to take a while to get back to fully fitness because um, he's been out for a while. But how about Lingard? Do you see Lingard slotting in? Um, well, yeah. Speaking as a fan, I'd like to see Lingard slotting in, but I don't think he'll be number one choice for for Oli. Um, I could see him maybe rotating him with Pogba and Bruno in that sort of central role, 
just behind the striker. But um, do you not think he could do something on the wing, maybe where where yeah. Rashford would be? Yeah, I thought I thought at West Ham we we saw that he could play across the whole front line and on that left and right wing he can be he can be a threat. But I just think for them games, uh, I think Greenwood's almost pretty much cemented himself as a as a starter for United nowadays. And but I think yeah, Greenwood and Lingard. They're, they're two good options to, to rotate whilst Rashford's out and um, obviously we've seen in pre-season people like Alanga I think he looks like he might be the one player if anyone out of the, the under-23s that probably make a um, come into the, the first team squad quite often this season he seems like he's pretty ready for it yeah compared to the other. but um, yeah he's another good option but obviously you, you don't, you're not, not going to be expecting to see Anthony Alanga too much this season still think he's got a lot of developing to do but, uh, yeah, I think we're sport for choice at the moment when it comes to the forward. In terms of sticking with Green, uh, Greenwood, do you see him as a, a winger then in the future or would you see him... Because I always thought he'd be a striker. I thought that would be his kind of... where yeah, his career was I, going. Yeah, I, th- I think in I think in the future, maybe, over his, the course of his career, um, striker's where we, we all want him to be because he is so clinical and so good in front of goal and he has got them striker's instincts but um, I think so far in his career you know his, his best foot will definitely has come off that right hand side given them step overs he chops inside and out and he makes it difficult for full backs to defend against so um, I think once he's sort of bulked up a bit more and um, learnt off Cavani learnt off other strikers I think that's when he'll slowly start getting merged into that, that striker role for the future but I think at the moment I think that right wing is where we're going to see most of Greenwood this season. Yeah, and in terms of the transfer window, obviously there's a lot of debate around with United fans how happy they are with the with the dealings that's gone on. How do you assess United's window? If it were to end today, how would you assess things? Is there more that you need to bring in? Um, well, to be honest, I think if it, if it ended today, your transfer window, um, despite there obviously being a glaring hole in in um, defensive midfield I think everyone everyone whether you're United fan or not know that United need a world class player there uh, to sort of free up the space for sort of people like Van der Beek to maybe come in and have that extra man in the attacking positions um, but I think if it did end today it, well, it, it, yeah, it would be still a pretty good window I don't think I think Sancho was probably the one that we all thought would happen but it's still good still good we've got him over the line but um, I think the Varane one was a, was a was a bit of a surprise, but I don't think many United fans saw United getting them two deals over the line before the before the transfer window, before the season started, because that's never been our style. We only wait to the last five days and sign sign a thirty five year old on loan for a season or something like that. But um, no, I'm pretty happy with the window, and obviously I would it would be ideal if he could really get that. That, that player and someone like Declan Rice I think it's very unlikely because of the money West Ham will want for him but even if it's someone of a, of a, of a not, not, not necessarily lower capability but someone's not as expensive you know it could def- there's definitely players out there that you know it could could fill that void with but like, like I said I'd still be pretty happy if I ended today yeah if you were to choose one more signing obviously make, stick, sticking with like a realistic signing that could happen Obviously, that that CDM role is is probably what you need. Who who? What are the yeah. kind of names that you would be happy with? Well, I, I think 
I think the most realistic one will probably still be um, Camavinia. Whether he obviously we all know he's still very young. He's only eighteen. He's, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be the ready-made player that United need in that midfield to play every single game because it's the French league as well. So different to the Premier League. And, um, but the, realistically, I think that's the one United will could possibly get. Maybe Ruben Neves. I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of Ruben Neves. I don't think he's I don't think he's as good as people talking up to me. And I think. I think he lacks a bit of. I think his mobility, his pace. I think that that's going to stop him from reaching the levels of an elite midfielder. But I still certainly think that someone like him in that in that role could um, definitely improve United. Or, or definitely an improvement on what they've already got. Yeah. So I think Ruben Neves, Camavinga. I think they're the two two ones that I'd be I'd, I'd be pretty happy with both of them. To be honest, it's it's a it's a big upgrade on what we've already got. Yeah. I think it's having that player that has the ability to, to take the responsibility of what Fred and McTominay have been doing and doing it themselves. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of frees yeah. up another player then for you, maybe a Van der Beek to come in. Yeah, and and you hope and yeah, and what you'd hope is that the Varane signing he he, he he creates a partnership and a relationship with Maguire where um, they don't need as much protection. So yeah. maybe that might, on its own, free up a bit more space in midfield. But there is certainly a glaring hole where we look at all all the top teams that have won stuff in the past, and all the top teams now. You've got City; they've got two good options with Rodri and Fernandinho. Liverpool have always had a strong spine with Fabinho in that midfield when they won the Premier League. You've got Leicester with great players like Ndidi and Tielemans, um, Chelsea, Kante. All the top teams there that you need a two two strong centre halves and. A, a good keeper and a, and a solid holding midfielder and I think that's the one bit that will let United down this season if I'm not saying you, United could do anything this season could go these signs could go great and United might end up never needing that holding midfielder but I think most people would would agree if United are going to really go and challenge City they need that depth in midfield which they haven't quite got at the moment yeah absolutely no I think you're bang on there mate it's been great having you back on the show um, great, great, great to be back on, and uh, I'll be back on very regularly soon. Yeah, good. I was gonna say, uh, when when can the listeners expect to hear your voice again? In a very near future, mate. Very near future, can't right? Can't find the exact date. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. I'll still be Brilliant, mate. All right, thanks for joining us. Catch you in a bit. No problem, guys. See you later. So let's move on. Um, I want to discuss. I'm not sure if you guys have seen it, but. Basically, the Premier League or IFAB. So, yeah, the Premier League returns and the main rule changes for the 2021-22 season. Um, I'm using the BT Sport um, site here just for some clarity. But it is IFAB, which is the International Football Association Board. Uh, they're responsible for the governance of laws. And I'm, I, it's interesting. I, I thought that almost the different leagues are different kind of a few different rules maybe and they kind of govern themselves but obviously it looks like all the leagues um kind of come under this this same law changes so the the main one we, ones we've seen is the handball rule obviously we had some a lot of controversy last season and and the season before the last two seasons of having VAR it's just been so unclear and that is it i think with this VAR uh, i think as football fans we need to realize that VAR is here to stay and if you look at other sports other sports have been able to implement VAR or uh, an alternative to VAR 
in a really productive manner and it's i think for me it's this incessant need we have to just deliberate over every single every single decision every single fathom of the game and what I've, what we saw at the recent euros is that it isn't var that's the problem it's the way we're implementing it and we've become too reliant on it and the, the we've allowed the referees to become too reliant on it um var shouldn't be used as a method for the referees to 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 cover their own backs and i understand why they feel the need to because the controversy and the the media tirade the referees have received over the last few years is is ridiculous and i want to get to a, pit, a stage where we're not talking about referee decisions and i don't know why we do i don't know the 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 euro seems to have a philosophy of where we an, a, a decision might happen and then we'd move on i'm not sure whose decision it was but whether it was the tv companies or whether it was the the people in charge but we seem to you'd maybe see a replay once and then you'd move on and it would limit the amount of controversy around a certain issue this kind of replay and replay and replay it's for starters i think it is unfair to the referees because at the end of the day we then begin to forget that this was seen in real time they didn't get the privilege of seeing it in slow motion we're trying to make football into this objective none no argument based sport where we have we, every decision we know is right and it's never going to be achieved but ifab have tried to achieve this by trying to outline further what handball is and what isn't so before prior if you if a ball struck your arm whether accident or even if accident it would be the goal would be chalked off if you were in the build-up and obviously an accidental handball if it went directly into the goal from your hand or arm it would be penalized which is understandable but i think what was caused a controversy before was the fact that there were certain examples of players in the build-up where the ball would completely accidentally and no way of getting out of the way of would hit their arm and the hand and then it would go on to then they'd go and score a goal and var would rule it out and one comes to mind west ham against sheffield united it was one nil to uh, sheffield united i want to say and they were there was the ball went up struck declan rice's arm and west ham went on to score and they got caught uh, it got um it got disallowed and west ham lost the game in the end they, so yeah so basically this is what they're trying to change is if it does hit your arm accidentally then it will not no longer be penalized in the build up to a goal so yeah that's the change in the handball rule and then they've now also changed the offside rule which is as i understand they are basically giving the benefit of the doubt to the attackers and this is a great thing in my opinion because there are often so many decisions that it's such a narrow margin no advantage can have been gained and and, and i don't know whether this is the football romantic in me coming out um but for me when i look back in time and there's so many goals that would have been called out if VAR was there and it just seems a real shame to me um, sometimes and it almost just seems too pedantic and I, talking about referees um, giving, like being able to hide behind VAR, I think it's shocking how much um, linesmen are able to hide behind it as well and 
almost they're redundant really linesmen now because they don't they don't even call offsides if even once they're absolutely blatantly offside I, I don't understand this playing out the sequence of play and then coming back and calling it when it was a clear and obvious offside I think it just if you watch a game like cricket or what have you the referees they literally and I understand it's a completely different sport but the umpires in in cricket they're still their own they're, they still have a huge part to play and maybe this challenge system would work we see in tennis see in cricket where players get i think it's three challenges per innings or per per game and it then it offers it almost offers a bit of a more of a tactical side to it as well because you see in the test matches for example where teams have to be tactical about what when they use their challenges and I don't know if you guys watched I don't know if you guys are into cricket but the that Ben Stokes innings against Australia in the Ashes and literally if Australia called one of their challenges and it didn't end up coming to fruition but then later in that game all they needed to do was get Ben Stokes out they got him out the, the umpire didn't give it and they didn't have that challenge so it, it adds another layer to it. And having this ability to just check every single decision, it, it seems like over, overkill to me. And I think we need to move away from getting a VAR that's going to completely sort out all these discrepancies and all the debate. But we need to, just need to realise that it's, we can get something that's going to help, but we are still going to have these issues. If the players get the ability to be able to choose what they challenge, it could offer, like I said, a whole new layer to it. But it also, it, it forces these players to be honest. Because even if they've gone down or whatever, and they know it's not a foul, then they're not going to challenge for it, are they? So it kind of removes that need to go down for absolutely everything. And then uh, it works both ways as well. Because if a player goes down and they don't get a foul, they can challenge for it. But vice versa, if a, if a, challenge, a foul is given, then the player doing the foul can also challenge as well so there's definitely it's definitely interesting there's definitely ways we can look at it another part of the law that's changed is to do with heading so that we all know that there's been a lot of um, research recently into the effects of heading and the likes of cte and um other long-lasting uh illnesses that can develop from repeated head traumas so basically they've they've in these recommendations which limits the amount of higher force headers a, a, a player can do in training um so 10 higher force headers a week in training and these are typically headers following a long pass more than 35 meters or from crosses corners or free kicks i imagine this will really affect the way some some premier league clubs go about their training i mean if you're a side like burnley or uh, a crystal palace that really benefits from set pieces you're going to want to practice them more than 10 times a week, aren't you? So it's interesting. And that, that guidance will be applicable to the Premier League all the way down to through all the men's system and then also from the women's Super League all the way down to Pyramid Tiers 3 in the women's game. So it's good. It's good that we're, we are, we're learning more about the effects because having seen the some of the devastation it's caused and some... It, it's yeah it's something we need to adapt and yeah it's good to see it's good to see that we're progressing in that kind of field i'm gonna now go on to a few of your questions because i've actually i've gone into depth 
like way too much depth there on those two topics but hopefully i provided a bit of insight and um yeah so i basically put on the instagram story again uh let it, just asking what you guys wanted us to talk about um and so yeah if you you guys want to just get involved and let be able to dictate what we talk about on the show just be sure to follow us on that divided opinion it's all cracking off over there and i really think we i i'm really proud of the stuff that we put up on there and we really try and go into detail for you guys so yeah go over and check that out and it means you can let me know and ask me a question that i'll answer for you today so well, actually to be fair I see a question here, but I definitely need to talk about it anyway. Uh, Jack Grealish has gone to Manchester City. We've had the here we go from Fabrizio Romano. £100 million, um, most expensive player in Premier League history. What do we think about this? In my eyes, yeah, in my eyes, it's pretty simple. Um, I think it works for all parties involved. I don't agree with any Villa fans that are trying to villainise no pun intended trying to villainize jack grealish for for joining manchester city it is just the way it works and if if he was leaving to go to saudi arabia or if he was leaving to go to end like a team that haven't been winning and aren't serial winners then you'd have something to say and i agree with it but you just can't argue you surely want to see a player that you've bled that you've developed you want them to see see them go and play at the top level and if they if they if there's respect from both sides i'm absolutely certain that grealish is not writing off coming back to villa and i've seen people saying that he should have held out while villa now are just getting to they're just getting some speed going and they're just signing some players some really good players and they are and they're making real inroads uh, villa and I don't for one minute believe that this will slow down because of Grealish leaving. Well, I mean, if anything, it should speed up. But in terms of him waiting and wait, because he is only 26. And obviously there's people saying that he could wait till he's 28. But it just doesn't work like that. Villa are always going to value Grealish above and beyond what everyone else values him at. And likely it's exactly the same as Kane. And these transfers, the fee is 100 million because he's worth 100 million to Aston Villa. And... In two seasons' time, he's probably going to still be worth around that for Aston Villa, subject to injuries and form, etc. But if he carries on the way he's going on, on the trajectory he's going on, Villa will want in that kind of ballpark of 100 million. If you've got a 28-year-old Jack Grealish, are you going to want to pay 100 million for him? Obviously, if he goes on to be the best player in the world for for Aston Villa and they win a Premier League probably so but the way it's going I think I think Villa need to keep their kind of uh, aspirations a little bit reined in because we have seen their form without Grealish it really does deteriorate and you can't underestimate how important he is but yeah if he'd waited a couple seasons the likelihood of him going and being able to leave and he would probably be priced out of a move if he waited for me, I think, I don't know, if I, I like seeing the best players play for the best teams. I want to see Jack Grealish playing in the big Champions League nights and the thought of him linking up with KDB and with Raheem Sterling, and I know I'm not a Man City fan, but yeah, as a football fan, I, you've got to love it. And I, I really do understand Villa fans' frustration, I really do. But 
100 million pounds is worth it and he's just a match made in heaven pep spoke of his um ad- admiration of grealish and it's not not surprising i think he can he can almost take that fill that void david silva left because i know de bruyne is that talisman now he's still he's a different type of player it would just be interesting how i think they'll they'll set up so Man City in the Champions League final, and we've seen it throughout the season. They they line up with a four three three, and obviously recently they've in the final they actually played De Bruyne in the the false nine role, and I reckon because the likelihood of Kane joining, I think is unlikely. Yeah, I I I think you will see City not signing Kane. So if taking that into account, I think could Grealish play as a false nine. Let us know. I, I really don't know. I don't, I don't think we've ever seen him play that role. But maybe if De Bruyne can play it. We have got a question, actually. So, Bernardo Silva's future. Um, so, yeah, the rumours are that Bernardo Silva is going to make way with Grealish coming in. And it probably would make sense, to be honest. With Bernardo Silva, we've, we've seen... In, I've never thought that Pep was fully set on him. And he's never really reached what we thought he would um he seems to be a bit of an expendable player for for city i don't think they'll be the city fans will be losing sleep over losing him uh i it, some someone's got to leave surely it's just not feasible you're going to start getting some really unhappy players but obviously Grealish will slot into this team and i think you the likelihood is i think we'll likely see Grealish maybe on the left hand side he could go as an eight, but I think it's unlikely. I think you'd probably see a like someone like Rodri sitting in, or maybe Fernandinho, and then Gundogan and De Bruyne either side of them, and then that front three is where Grealish will fit in, in my opinion. Obviously, a player like Grealish and the way City play is just like Leicester; it's fluid and it's their players can go anywhere, and they've got the freedom to just roam around the pitch. And I think. Grealish will will have that kind of role but it'll be really interesting and I think it's a player like Grealish where if you get the opportunity to sign him you don't say no even if there isn't a specific position for him to fit in or a specific role that needs filling someone like Grealish they're just he's a chameleon he can play anywhere and yeah I think it's going to be a it's, it's going to be exciting to see whether you agree with it or not and yeah, my condolences go out to Villa fans. I've experienced it myself. We've had Riyad Mahrez leave. We've had Kante leave, and it's never nice. But I think sometimes you just gotta let them, let them fly, and let them just see what they can do and support them from afar. Because oh, it just, it just feels right to me. City, Grealish to City, Pep and Grealish. It just, it all just seems right. So we'll go back to Leicester. Will Madison stay at Leicester? Now, he's concerning, to be honest. This story, it doesn't seem to be going away. And I just, it's hard to work out whether these media outlets are just trying to find a headline um, and just trying to use it as a bit of a cash cow. Because you see anything that's discussed about Arsenal, interactions go through the roof on Twitter, everywhere. Arsenal fans, they're almost vic- like United. They're victims of their their immense popularity and they just get numbers going and they get clicks. So these media outlets are always going to try and use them. Any kind of rumour, they're going to gonna circulate. Um, do I think Madison will leave Leicester? 
I'm more worried about it now than I was, but I still don't think he'll leave. In terms of, we also had the question as well of what kind of replacements for Madison. And this is the issue. I don't, how do you replace a player like Madison? And I know there's controversy around and there's debate around how important he is to Leicester, but a player of his talent and the way he reads the game, you don't find him very often. And I really, I don't, I wouldn't, there'd be no one that I'd, that really springs to mind as a as a adequate replacement. Obviously, with Arsenal, they are offering some de- uh, players within the deal, some kind of swap deal. Um, if it was me personally, the only player that really jumps out to me as a possible player that would be included, because there are obviously a few players that just Arsenal I know would not include, but someone like a Joe Willock who was out on loan in Newcastle last season. Obviously, money would have to. Uh, exchange hands as well I think around 70 million maybe I mean obviously we've heard I think they've offered 60 plus maybe an Ainsley Maitland-Niles or Reese Nelson which is just Reese Nelson where is he going to be used and if we accepted that I'd really I'd be losing hope but Ainsley Maitland-Niles I would like him at Leicester he offers a lot of versatility but we don't need him. Um, where's he going to play fullback? I think we're all right at fullback now. He can play on the wings, which possibly could could help us. Maybe on the right hand side, centre midfield. He's not going to get anywhere near the centre of midfield. He isn't an attacking midfielder, so he isn't going to be a direct plate replacement for Madison. Maybe I could, if I saw a deal in the region of sixty to seventy million plus Maitland Niles and Joe Willock. I could get behind that. And although I would be sad to see Madison go, because I don't think he has realised this potential yet in a Leicester shirt. Certainly hasn't, just in his career in general. So yeah, I, 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 I'm I erring on the side of caution, but I think Madison will stay. And in terms of replacements, I would have liked Matias Pereira, but I really I think he's going to Al-Halal. He's had an offer that's going to change his family's life, apparently. So what can you say? Uh, Premier League standings prediction. We'll do that another episode once we've got Westy back and we're doing the full divided opinion show. Uh, yeah, we'll do a full Premier League prediction, standings, everything. So then we can come back to it at the end of the season and see how we did. And we'll also be predicting kind of players stuff like that. And yeah, um, we need we're gonna get the ball rolling now with the kind of preview content. So what's the best move for Pogba's career right now? Um. It's a good question, to be honest. Uh, I think he, you would have been better off asking that a few years ago because he's now at this catch-22 situation where if he leaves Manchester United, all the work he's done is gone. And whereas if he stays at Man United, is he just prolonging the inevitable? It has felt like that for a while with Pogba where he's been at United and they've not been near a, like a title-winning side for a while. And... As United have been progressing, but slowly. And as a player like Paul Pogba, generational talent gets used a lot nowadays. But Pogba is the epitome of that. He, Pogba, in my opinion, could have gone down as one of the greatest midfielders of all time. And someone might laugh at that, but the tools he's got, there's, there's probably not anyone really is as gifted as him in world football I'm talking Haaland kind of that kind of ilk of player just every aspect of his game Pogba has got and it was a nice move going back to Man United but and 
he's obviously now he's how long has he been there uh, he's so, so so Pogba's been there now since 2016 he's had five years at United and they've not been easy years and fair play to him he hasn't had the players around him and I do feel bad for him because when United signed him or as bad as I can feel for someone in Pogba's position obviously but when he signed for United that was a real statement signing and we thought I think United fans thought the wider football world thought that that was a statement of intent and a player like Paul Pogba they would have signed him under like knowing that you have to sign players around him he's not the player that's going to he needs players around him and he, he's a kind of player that elevates his game with the kind of players around him and you see that with France and United made that statement of intent but then didn't back it up and for the last five seasons they've slowly been progressing now and he's had really tough years and he's had some criticism from United fans and it's been tough but now it almost seems like he's chucking away all that hard work if he was to leave and let me just say now I don't think he will leave I think he'll stay it's in his own best interest I think I'm not sure what is in United's best interest really because even if they were to sell him this summer they were going to lose money on him um they've obviously bought in Varane and Sancho and they're starting to make some kind of inroads and so he's had to put up with playing with the likes of Dan James and Lindelof and uh, although they are very like they're Premier League players they're not Manchester United level or the Manchester United that I'm sure they want to become again and you know he'll now have the likes of Varane his fellow countrymen and plays like Sancho to play with and it would be ridiculous for him to leave in my opinion why would you put in all this hard work and then the season that it could all come together, you leave. It would just seem, uh, I, I'm sure there's a saying for it, but it's not coming to my head right now, but it'd just be ridiculous. And yeah, I think he will stay. I think it could end up costing United in a lot in the long run. And either, either way, Pogba's going to make a lot of money because at the end of this season, whether he has an unbelievable season, United will offer him a load of money, or if, if his contract runs out, he'll reap the rewards financially. Um, we know where his agent, Mino Raiola, we know where his kind of ambitions lie and it's with making money and he doesn't really care about football. That's what it seems anyway. So there we have it. Another episode of Divided Opinion in the bag. Like Westy said, he'll be back in the near future. I hope you've been enjoying this. Um, I know it's not the same, but... I just enjoy getting this kind of stuff out and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Uh, make sure to like, follow, subscribe, whatever your platform allows you to do. Give us a follow on Instagram at Divided Opinion if you enjoyed the show. Um, yeah, I uh, really enjoyed today's episode. We didn't talk about too much because I ended up going into quite a lot of detail on a few certain issues. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll catch you next week. See you soon.